Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today, we have three awesome segments for you, but it's a little bit different than usual. We're going to cover X-Force number 25, as well as It's Jeff Season 1, Issues 1 through 12 in their entirety, as the season has concluded, but we're going to kick things off with sort of an old school segment that we haven't had an opportunity to do in so long as we've been trying to keep ahead of this incredible shipping schedule that Marvel has maintained since the pandemic lockdown has ceased affecting comic shipping. So we sat down and we sort of talked about dream rosters. Now, when we said dream rosters, the only prompt I gave anybody was any characters, any team iteration go. So some of us took it a little bit more in a very structured way and built out these incredibly storied ideas. And other people thought more about character formations that would lock into any story idea. There was, of course, discussion of things like the nuance of villain and how the role of the mentor affects the team dynamic. But one of the things that I really loved about this segment was it brought together different people to discuss different aspects of what makes the X-Men great. Now, for this special discussion, we knew we had to bring in some extra special voices. So we brought in X-Twitter's own Dion, who has joined us before, and it just made for the most incredible discussion, and it was just magic and i hope you guys enjoy as much as we enjoyed making it and if you like what you hear don't forget you'll probably like what you see so don't forget to check us out over on youtube and twitter at x's for podcast hey everybody welcome back to x's for podcast the show where we take a look at comics mutants magic and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles i'm nico and you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n hi i'm raven aka dame red bento uh come over and find me mostly on twitter and tiktok oddly enough hi this is broadway i am on twitter at bway 3 rd my birthday is on friday so give me attention please and thank you <laughs> i'm really i i just i'm trying to find a black friday joke that's not inappropriate but <laughs> yeah, yeah i had one and i forgot it it's just okay, gonna be well, extra black because it's my birthday i guess <laughs> Hey, this is Dion. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Dion Says, D-I-O-N underscore S-A-Y-S. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike our favorite teams who are sure to go through <laughs> many fantastical trials and tribulations that we come up with with our own head. No shit, right? By the way, Dion, your voice is smoother than coffee. Oh, no, 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 I no, love no. it. I have I have a cold, so I, oh. I'm doing like Kathleen Turner realness right now. It's amazing. Oh. I will oh, keep I this it. voice forever. I'm going to gargle glass after I'm done with this. <laughs> Before or after Romancing the Stone? Is it Smoker Voice? <laughs> it's uh, after Kathleen. Romancing the Stone. Okay, Smoker Voice. Got <laughs> it. Of course, yeah. <laughs> 
So here's what happened. The holidays have created a little bit of uh, some scheduling magic every year for Access for Podcast. Add in the uncertainty of a weird paper shortage and some shipping delays, we wound up in a situation where some schedules didn't quite coalesce the way we'd hoped they would. So we decided we would take a detour out of the normal of the X-Books and back into a format that we used to enjoy here on X's for Podcast back before we had so many books to cover every fucking week. So we're here today to talk about our dream X teams. That's right. Any team form and any roster you want. I'm super excited. This was always one of my favorite projects that we would do here on X's for Podcast. And any opportunity to talk with people, not only whose opinions I value, but whose fandoms I find fascinating and different than my own is always an exciting time. And it's kind of the whole fucking purpose of the show. And, you know, I would know I started it. So you got to believe me because I said it. So anyway, I want to start with... I love that you guys are down for this this uh, sort of event for me. Now, before we even get into the memberships, what makes a good X team for you guys? For me, there's got to be some fucking, there's got to be some fighting, there's got to be some Wolverine or somebody Wolverine adjacent. That includes Psylocke and her knifesiest, you know, definitely like a, a brawler. And I like it when uh, there's a traitor, but it's an obvious traitor, so everybody knows they're going to be the traitor. Gambit! So, uh, what makes a good X team for you guys? Where to begin? For me, it usually starts with very strong leadership, and then you need people who can actually work together as support, who know how to actually follow orders on top of thinking on their own. Because if you get one loose cannon when you have a precision mission that you're on, you end up often having to face down much larger bosses before you actually needed to, because somebody couldn't help but snick, snick, slash, slash. Well, no one's ever complained about Wolverine's restraint, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I think a good team starts with some good leadership. But what I look for is I look for a diverse roster of not only characters and who they are and what they represent and what they stand for, but also just power sets in general. I like when there's a very big mix and nobody has to step on anybody's toes of what they do. I often talked about early on in more older issues of X-Men throughout the 80, uh, the 70s and 80s that the character of Warren Worthington, whose only power was his the ability to fly with his wings, was severely uh, power-crapped by plenty of other mutants that have the ability to fly as well as do other things. So if everybody on the team can kind of have their own power sets that maybe they might intermingle differently, or there might be different variations of things, as long as nobody's stepping on anybody's toes so that everybody can technically have the chance to have a spotlight if you give them this certain situation, that's what I appreciate. And the last thing that I look for... Wait, no, but is... I, have to, I have to ask a question. Are you Omega Ableist? You're like, <laughs> you know, Angel can fly... Basic ass mutant flying loser. You're just like, I am so unimpressed. But that's, but like, if you look at it, you look at someone like Angel who only had the ability to fly. That was his only mutant power when he was the original, one of the original five who can only do that. And then you get Banshee, Banshee who can also fly, but also has his sonic screen that also comes with a number of different properties that help him differentiate and kind of make him a little bit better than Warren. So you're telling us that Warren is an overpriced pigeon. Got it. <laughs> Uh, over I agree. You're telling us that you want to experience Banshee's throat action too. <laughs> um, I can't take that yes, away please. from Moira. So that's my ultimate couple is when they were together. 
Imagine Under the accent. Yeah, yeah totally don't worry. Mystique will take that away from him. <laughs> oh, oh. And then the last thing I look for is characters that have interesting and dynamic chemistry. I want these characters mm-hmm. to interact in what feels like a very natural way. And I don't want characters that have the same personality archetypes or that just don't seem like they would mesh well together. Not that you can't have interconflict. I think that makes for very interesting storylines. But there should always be a baseline chemistry that all these characters should work well together. Can't we just all get along? I'm a big fan of teams whose victories are never assured. And Mm. so I grew up on Justice League Detroit. So there was Steel and Vibe and Vixen, and it was such an odd team that somehow worked together. And after having a, a roster that included you know, literal gods on the team, it, it felt refreshing, and it didn't, felt, it didn't feel assured. And so I think when I'm building my X-Men team, I don't want it to be full of powerhouses. I want it to be full of folks that were still kind of discovering themselves and have to rely on each other in order to guarantee that win. I just want to comment on how much I love your uh, love of alternate Justice League titles. I grew up on Justice League International and Justice League Europe. That was something that I had like whole runs of. And so like I grew up being like, like I was under the impression there also had to be Justice League South Asia and Justice League Pacific Islands and Justice League Gold Coast. And like I just (laughs) expected there to be these things. And when there weren't, I was shattered. But I love that there were so many over the years Justice League iterations that stepped so far outside of the common idea of the super team. And I really love your love of Justice League Detroit, just kind of repping an underrepresented Justice League. I mean, it had a Puerto Rican on it, which we didn't have any, like, there weren't any Latinx characters back then. So even though he was horribly written, I'm like, oh, that's my guy. I mean, I'm the worst human being on Earth because, like, my favorite Green Lantern is Kyle Rayner, and, and I'm Latino, so I have to give back my Latino card. Uh, <laughs> it's that scene from Superstore. Ah, you're going to have to take back my Latino card. It's, it's, it's me being Amy just punching people. It's a nightmare. Broadway, save me from the nightmare. Oh, Bring gosh. me your beautiful birthday story. Tell me. For your birthday, what would make a perfect X team? I'm just trying to be theatric because it's your birthday. Um, theatrics are always appreciated. As to what everybody else said, I think, I mean, leadership is always important, but I think that leadership that sort of proves itself by bringing out the best in everyone else is really important, just in like a team in general. One thing I've, I I like about Scott is like his kind of strategist motif. Like I always think of him kind of as a quarterback quintessentially, and like a quarterback really does have to like bring out everyone else's talents and understand how to maximize everyone else's potential. So like you don't have to be the star, like Scott is objectively not the strongest person on just about any X-Men team, but he he is most often the leader. And I think even with this current set, like in Duggan's X-Men, I think it is interesting the way that none of them have the same powers. Most of them don't have the same background. Even Sync, who can copy everyone else's powers, is still different and unique and has to like learn how to bring that out. And I, I love the way that Scott and Gene are sort of helping him grow and take center stage. I think that's like really important is that, again, like leadership starts at the top, but like leadership breeds a culture that brings out the best in everyone instead of just like being the the center of attention now i'll admit i i'm like sitting over here crushing on all of you because when i made my lists 
I was <laughs> thinking about things like leadership as well. One of the things that I think gets so underrepresented by the cultural iteration of the X-Men is the value of the leadership position. When I think about how the X-Men and other dynamic teams function, people sometimes forget that Professor Xavier isn't like a seated Jarvis. It's not <gasps> some some sort of... Yeah, he's not like Grandpa X here to give Kitty Pride a quarter and accidentally grab Storm's ass. He's here not to give Kitty Pride. <laughs> That'd be the last ass he ever grabbed. Purposefully grab Jean's ass. <laughs> so let's check that. But, you know, I, I actually love that you guys did consider things like leadership because I think one of the other things that leadership ought automatically provides is a natural opposite for the team. I think one of the things that we all kind of got around but never really said was, I think one of the number one things the X-Men need at all times is a clear enemy. And I really fucking mean that. Because the X-Men so rarely all get along, they all need to hate the same person for it to work. And so frequently, the, the enemy is born of the leadership, whether it's you know, classically Magneto versus Xavier, or on Mirror Island, it was the Shadow King versus Xavier, or in New X-Men, when it was literally everyone versus Xavier. You know, there's a, a good vibe that everybody wants to kill that old creep. So um, my question for you guys is, how do villains factor into a good X-team for you? I think they kind of remind us why the team was brought together in that sort of you know, Janet said, all right, well, we're here to avenge something, so we're the Avengers, let's go kill Loki, kind of way. How do you guys feel about the role of the villain in the X-Team identity? Well, for me, honestly, uh, if it comes to villains, I would change my team, because I I tend to team people up according to the kind of opposition that they're most likely to face with a couple of outliers just in case something goes a little bit different or a little bit sideways. I guess you need to have kind of a, a large roster overall so that you can have specialized teams because you never know quite what is going to be thrown at you when you have like say Orcus or the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You know when you have a large team or a villain that has like a vast wealth of abilities that can be used you need to be able to kind of switch out or switch up people in order to combat them effectively i always like to differentiate between like villains and antagonists right like i i love uh avatar legend of korra and she has robust antagonists like they're not they're not all good people by any measure but a lot of them do have a point and it's critical for her story to like bring to to fold in what she's learned from prior antagonists into the story. Whereas I also find villains that are just sort of like outright shitty, always interesting. Like how do you make that character compelling? With the X-Men and X-Teams, there's something always more fascinating when like the antagonist has a point and it doesn't mean that they're all going to agree and they're going to shake hands and blah, 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 but that they're going to have to figure out what to do with this, with this person's perspective, which I find just like far more interesting than just like, oh, they like, hate mutants and that's their prime motivation uh, you know i i'm so excited that i have an excuse to talk about henry rollins again that makes three episodes in two weeks where i inexplicably get to talk about how much i love henry rollins okay you know i agree especially with the red lotus they represented this idea that, i mean they were wrong and they were terrorists and they were nuts but 
they did, uh, you know, they had some pretty accurate points about undoing a social design that exclusively existed to hold other people down. And that's one of those things about a good run. Now, Dion, Jonah, how do you guys feel about the role of the villain versus the role of the antagonist as Broadway has so broadly defined it in a new way? I did it. I got both halves of your name in. I'm a champ. <laughs> I think in recent memory, like my most, uh, I guess the best villain for me has always been Cassandra Nova in recent memory. That is a very good decision you just said. <clears throat> she was frightening at, at the end of the day, correct? Truly terrifying. Absolutely. She, she was working off sheer malevolence. And so I think that kind of villain, I think it's what what scares me at the end of the day. And that's the kind of villain that I want my team to be facing something apocalyptic and something huge and something just mean for the sake of being mean. Because sometimes I think we over explain our villains and we just lose the fact that some, some folks are just shitty and mm -hmm. some folks just need a kick in the ass. Cassandra was that for me. And she still haunts me to these days. I am a big proponent of not every villain needs to be redeemed or has to have a sad, tragic backstory. I think a really good villain is somebody whose motives that make you question your own motives and be like, I kind of agree with what they're doing, but like, I don't know if I can agree with the method they're doing. Like Magneto. You look at Magneto and a lot of times, even in retrospect, you're like, Magneto was right. But then you're like, eh, he's a terrorist and he killed a lot of people. So like, can I actually agree with him? I don't know if I can agree with the methodology of the things that he's doing. But what he is saying is, I think, almost objectively true. So... Those are the villains I like where it makes you really question your own personal morality and standing of, oh, maybe I could have been this person if things were a little bit different. So now I don't think there's any putting it off. I think we're at the, you know, at the, as the Scorpions would call it, the glory night. We are here to discuss. That was a Winds of Change reference for anybody who also thinks that 80s power ballads about the unification of Germany are still significant. Hey! So, I... Right? Taking everybody right back. So, I'm, I want to do it. Let's start talking about our teams. Now, I just want to kick things off because, like I said earlier, I, I did the homework a little too hard, as I mentioned in the green room, and I prepared three teams. And that's Kelsey just because freeze. it was my prompt, so I had to do it upright. I can't not do the homework if I'm assigning it. And so just to deliver a, a short, fun little one real quick, I was thinking about a way you might be able to reinterpret the original five and, you know, what the O5 might mean today. And I came up with the O5 as the Omega 5. And I would want it to feature Quentin in sort of the Marvel Girl tactical role. In that same outfit. Right, yes, yeah, same outfit. Goddamn, yes, please. Put, uh, <laughs> put Quentin in a skirt, yes. Uh, uh, Hisako playing the Angel role. Dokken playing the Beast role. Dust as Iceman, sort of the elemental, Surge as Cyclops, with Sage playing the Xavier role, and all of this taking place at a school in an upstate location where they're helping to find the next generation whose parents won't let them go to Krakoa. I just feel like it's a kind of fun take on the O5, calling it the Omega 5. It's sort of it's sort of cute. Now, you know, I just thought it was kind of fun to play with the archetypes. Now, how do you guys feel? I picked Storm, not just because she's an Omega-level mutant who is currently the freaking regent whooping ass 
on her own planet, you know, she's always been a really good team leader. She is good at um, delegating responsibilities and actually trusting her team. I put Rachel Summers, not just for the, for the telepathic abilities, but also for the telekinesis and for the chrono skimming, very, very importantly. With them, I paired Tempo because she's able to, again, manipulate time. She does have some flight abilities amongst other powers that would work. Moonstar, I'm looking at the kind of powered up Valkyrie version where where she has a deal going on with Reborn Hela, which not only expanded her power set, but also really strengthened a lot of her skill set, as it were. Plus, she got all of that wonderful training on Asgard. Adding to that, I will do magic, because she is the Sorceress Supreme in Limbo. And she does have um, interdimensional powers, so she can jump not just continent to continent, but between realms as well. I'm adding in dust uh, because of her ability to manipulate her own body structure, which can be easily fastballed, special with a lot of other people. And frenzy for the not only her diplomatic abilities, but also she has the muscle to kind of back it up. And so basically I've set up a time-based power team that can hit before anything bad really happens, has the ability to jump through time, space, avoid a lot of detection, and basically hits them fast and hard before the fight really gets into like a full swing. That way you're limiting the amount of casualties, collateral damage, and um, possibility of bystanders being hurt. So you picked a team based on protection and design, and I picked a teenage soap opera. <laughs> okay. Oh, and I forgot trying because she she handles all things equipment and and information and technology wise so yeah now i love that we both went for dust i think she is rated underutilized one thing that i like about the, what you did nico is that you chose characters that could be substitutions that weren't the exact obvious choices like sage in the xavier role as a character who can glean a lot of information and you know parse that information to people as the headmaster quote unquote and i also Sage might be on one of my own teams, and I think Sage is possibly the linchpin to Krakoa, and nobody gives her enough credit, not even not in-universe or out-of-universe. Um, I love Sage so much that uh, I think everybody needs to show her a little bit more respect. What I love about your team, Raven, is that it's a badass woman team. It is literally like a mix of great hits, but also characters I think could definitely use a lot more spotlight. They're definitely getting it, but characters like Tempo and Frenzy I think really should be, are really cool, and I would love more people who are jumping into X-Men now to get to know them better because they're characters that are like really badass and I think they should be known more. It's not just that they're black, it's also black women which I think offers an interesting like uh, offers a lot of opportunities for that book to explore different relationships between blackness and womanhood and they all have these different roles and histories right like one of them is like the regent of mars like that puts you in a very different sort of realm of you know black girl magic that i think would be really interesting to see how do tempo and frenzy like relate to storm right i really take that team also because so many of them have or have had really like important roles right like having like the regent of mars on the same team as you know the ruler of limbo and somebody who's like hosted the phoenix is like pretty ballin and i would imagine that like this would make a like if storm rolled up with this team no matter where she went like everybody's bowing right like 
you know, you got like Valkyries, you got all kinds of shit going on. Like no matter where they went, this is a fucking squad. And I, I think that that would just be dope to me. Like a like a all women squad that like really is a capital S squad. Yay. I just and it won the world capital W. Yes. <laughs> So I had two teams, so I'll just go with um, a blue team. Because of Hellions, I have fallen in love with Quanin, and she's now one of my favorite characters, so she'd be leading the team. And in my team, I collected, during the early 90s, I collected basically three titles. I collected New Warriors, X-Force New Mutants, and the original Guardians of the Galaxy. So I had a double dose of Vance Astrovic um, every month, and then... I fell in love with the guy. I know he he, he copped out later, and I, I don't know much about what he's doing now. But I think he Justice offers a really fantastic opportunity to figure out who he is within the X community and the X role, because that's nothing that's ever been explored. So he has something to prove. Then I have the Boom Boom and Richter pairing, because I miss that um, tremendously from the original Mutants and Exterminators. And then you have M, uh, Magic, and Protégé to round out my team. And, and Richter specifically being the Mexican version of Richter that Fabian Yuseza wrote, not so much the current incarnation i really you, you know like it's as soon as i saw your team and i saw the word mexican richter i was just like yes and i say the word because it's a single thought i really enjoy what teeny is doing trying to broaden the character's horizon but i am pretty much half latino half irish so like kind of what they're doing with richter should really hit me but like I'm really sad about the loss of his Latino identity in the name of what feels like likely a temporary power alteration. So I also included Victor, and and when you mentioned the the relationship between his heritage and his current role, that is something that I've talked to people about before. That I would love to see his magics expanded beyond kind of anglo-saxon druidiness and it would be interesting to see him like you know do a little brujeria and whatnot or some mesoamerican magic yeah 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 yeah. it would be really dope i did an excalibur team because i really do like excalibur and something i thought about was teeny's uh, she's talked about using dungeons and dragons as kind of a platform for building out the team and so i tried to incorporate that but i also thought that you know after this arc with with arthur and whatnot it's important i think to deepen the ties and the importance of otherworld to krakoa i think it's important that like otherworld be kind of relevant to xavier and magneto like obviously it was important to apocalypse but i feel like everybody else was like sure otherworld whatever so the holdovers from the current run which be Betsy, Richter, Megan, and Shatterstar. And I, I would really want them to kind of deepen their role. Maybe Shatterstar takes a role as like a knight in, in Avalon's court. Like Megan learns more about like fairy magic along with mutant magic. Richter sort of takes on a kind of nerd scholar role. Then the new people would be Celine, who would operate as the sort of apocalypse of it all. Like vast knowledge, but unlike apocalypse, usually not super interested in what everybody else is doing like a very self-interested kind of character i'm gonna staff a time bomb to this team oh yeah oh no like fully like in my in my two pages of notes because i'm alone one thing i noted <laughs> was that like you know i i can imagine her sort of pushing betsy but also like being the devil in betsy's ear 
where you know I I could see like Celine and and Saturnine sort of beefing with Betsy as their proxy, and I think that would be fun. I also think that her dynamic with Jamie and Maggie Braddock would be amazing. I think she would love Maggie and despise Jamie, and Jamie would drool at the sight of Celine. Another character I would add would be Death from the first Horseman. I imagine him sort of going full vampire and not just like being a guest, but like being the kind of hostage treaty person between Savileth and Avalon and and using that to explore new powers for him. Maybe him and Shatterstar training together as like Savalethi assassins. Also competing allegiances. Like his siblings are running one of the are, are running what used to be Dryador and like what does that mean to be caught between that? He also provides Okaran knowledge, which I think would be really important, especially for Richter. It's like you dated his dad. So like what is that like? And then I would love a new character, somebody who's like a mutant from Otherworld. I think sometimes we miss out on that. A lot of our characters, and I think this is a critique of Excalibur, I think it's justified, but I think a lot of the characters are sort of coming in and imposing their will upon Otherworld, and it would be nice to get someone from there. I would imagine they have feelings about, you know, this war that Krakoa and Arako just waged in Otherworld, if that's their home, like their relationship to mutantdom would be entirely different. And I would love if they had like a musical kind of mutation, like a little like bard, like with a lyre or something like that. Something quirky and medieval. But yeah, that's that's what I got. You know, I'd never realized it, but Jamie is sort of like a service top sub. And I had never thought of it until your description of him really put it in context. Like, I think he would be a great sub for Celine. I think she would eventually find him amusing until she betrayed the team. So I, to maybe nobody's surprise, chose a team for, like, old school New Mutants, like when they were kids and solving, like, kid problems. Basically, the original New Mutants was basically the Breakfast Club. <laughs> and I yearn for that return to form. Not that I'm not enjoying current New Mutants, but especially the first couple of issues were like New Mutants by name as opposed to New Mutants by story and what it really stands for. So I chose some characters that weren't, they're not New Mutants, even though technically maybe one of them has appeared in New Mutants, but or two, but they don't count. So I have Chamber because I'm obsessed with Chamber and I'm putting Chamber in everything because what? I love him. <laughs> Um, and then I have Pixie because I've been a recent Pixie convert and <laughs> I feel like Bob, Bob, hi Bob, Bob Quinn would really appreciate me putting Pixie in more things. Dragoness, because if there's anything I love, it is random deep cut characters and Dragoness is one of them. You've probably, <laughs> you probably don't know who Dragoness is. Her name is Tara. She's got dragon wings and she can blast people. It's pretty cool. Then we have Tempest, Angel Salvador, because I personally really love Angel. I would love for her to get more storylines that aren't unfortunately stereotypical and I really want her to be a little bit more fleshed out in that world so putting I think putting her over a group of you know younger students that, uh, younger characters that aren't specifically in a school setting I think could help Indra because again another character I'm very much obsessed with for no apparent reason I just think he's really cool I also like that he's purple armor I love armor I love everything that she stands for she probably had one of my favorite stories in Marvel Voices. Seeing her interact with Silver Samurai was probably one of the funniest things in the entire world. And then for my last two, I have Dummy, because again, deep cut random mutant. <laughs> These I will never stop my crusade for getting Dummy resurrected. There's no real reason for him to be, but god damn it, I 
I want Dummy back. They let him die and nobody did anything about that. And it's very funny, but also very sad. And then I picked Gwenpool because I think she's a character that has, outside of the popular people that you see in on Krakoa and you see in X titles, she's a mutant that hasn't really gotten to explore her mutant side, really. She, we really haven't seen her since her last issue, and I would really love to see more of her. I think she's a really funny, cool character and a very interesting power, and let her be a mutant. Let her enjoy that. And she's great in Marvel's Contest of Champions, let me tell you. She can do bleed and incinerate both at the same time, and that sort of status burn is every fucking thing. Well, actually, what's really amazing about her is that her second special will cause the enemy to not be able to gain any specials, and you can keep stacking this debuff as long as they have a bleed debuff, which she has a 30% chance for every single attack she does. So if you're able to do it properly, you can power lock your enemy and make fights super easy. I love... I, this, is, this is why I've been with you for four years, kid. <laughs> As much as I loved my first team, I knew that I needed to do a second team. There was just something there that was calling out to me to do another story. And when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about what I feel like is specifically missing from the X lineup right now. And that is, even with how much I loved X Factor, I was kind of missing a more traditional investigations title. Maybe something a little bit closer to an original X Factor. And I came up with a sort of X-Force Weapon X style Weapon Plus Investigations. Now, my cast is a little bit strange. I want it to feature Wolverine, the Wolverine, the real one. So obviously I mean Laura. I want it to feature Dokken. Now, okay, in an alternate universe, the universe MC2, which gave us Spider-Girl, who had her own, like, 200 issues of solo series and a number of other incredible titles, Wolverine, at that point, had been connected to Elektra. So in MC2, he had a daughter with Elektra who had psychic claws, and her name was Wild Thing, and I love her. So for no apparent reason, she's going to find a way over to this reality because I want it. And Phantom X, because I can't get enough Phantom X. And Reckless, for those of you who might not remember, Reckless was the giant bear from Brute Force. I'll find a way. Okay? I will you find and your bears. a way. Brute Force means everything to me, and oh I God. asked the team to read it. Uh, I've asked the team to read it three separate times. And the last time I asked the team to read it, a month later, they showed up in X-Force, the Reckless story. And I was like, I did this. I did this for you all. And I was just like, no, it was just kind of the time of the year where I make everybody read Brute Force. And so, yeah, I have that buried somewhere. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. And I would just want them to be investigating other weapon creations. Hmm. The Weapons Plus project was a disturbing thing, and it had... You know, it's evil little claws all over the evil little world, and there's got to be other things out there. And I would also want, like, Logan Wolverine to appear in a backup going around the world being like, I smell a weapons person at this bar, snicked. Bub. And it would, you know, I would, I'd need that. Four pages a month, just Logan being sexy and flannel, somewhere cold. And then getting back to the hotel room, stripping down, and then being like, I smell you, assassin. Have him drawn by somebody who just draws men like porn, like a Phil Yamines or a Russell Dowderman. Just somebody who 
only ever draws men at their uh, most deliciousest. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, that's my second book. Who else has a second book? See, I was yeah. about to say, rest in peace, Dr. Echo, but that's not his name anymore. His name is Surfstreak. So now I'm just all confused. Yeah, so, you know, that's why it's got to be Reckless, man. And he's a bear, so. So my second team is my goal team, Moonstar. I'm leading the team, and specifically written by Darcy Little Badger, who wrote her in the Marvel Voices Indigenous issue. Then Venus DeMilo, who I love from... Yay! I, I love yes! Ecstatic. For, yes, my whole heart! <laughs> I love her so much and I just we haven't seen her since the book ended and I think she had a really cool power set and she was just stunningly beautiful on top of that and she had really great character design then Dokken for obvious reasons um strong guy I fell in love with strong guy in X Factor I I just like his size and I think he would look really great on the page and he's also kind of tragic because of his powers himself and then Rachel and Husk because we really haven't seen the potential of Husk. Mm. Happinson's Age of Apocalypse Husk, who is my favorite version of Husk. And then Silhouette uh, from New Warriors. Uh, we don't have enough folks who are Cambodian, Black, and also differently abled on the team. And so, and Silhouette has an amazing power set to begin with. So that's my gold team. Now, I love your gold team, and I'm going to challenge you, your Age of Apocalypse Husk, and I'm going to remind every motherfucking person on this planet that at the end of Generation Husk, at the end of Generation S, eh, at the end of Generation X number one, she straight up turns into a bird. She just straight up turns into a so we're, bird. So we're just going to look past the point where her mother walks in on her overhead bonking somebody? I think you need to put it as walks out into. <laughs> because it's sort of like, you're making it sound like Ma Guthrie was like, how can I ruin my daughter's boyfriend's orgasm? Because that's what she's really into. Like, she's, she's into like ruining... Yeah, right? Like, ruining orgasms for entitled Dumb. rich white guys. Mm-hmm. And so she's, like, trying to find them, and she's looking everywhere under every rock in every basement. And finally she finds them, but it's much more horrifying. It's everywhere. If she goes anywhere and looks up, there it is. I so, bet she never looked up again. <laughs> Look, there's the ground. That's my life. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I I love your list. I genuinely do. And I love your use of the blue and gold team. That's like a really cool era. And I love how many people went for Moonstar. Uh, She's always been a long-term favorite of mine. And it's just really cool to see so many people also have super hardcore love for Danny. She's a straight-up queen, so I love that. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing about Paige is that she's the only Guthrie mutant that can't fly. Because the other other three three can. What did I just say <laughs> at the end of generation no, 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 no. yes she became a bird i'm like a bird i want to fly away thank you nelly Furtado. but more importantly you never think nelly Furtado anywhere near enough and you no, know how cannot. i feel about that no we cannot i'm talking about in base power set not being turned into things okay okay I hear you. I hear was you it, and I respect you. Wasn't it in Child's Play where she turned into a bird? Definitely was that it? Was it Child's Play? Yeah, okay. it was New Warriors X-Force. Yes, I really love how many people are really kind of coming back around on the New Warriors who were maligned, mistreated, misrepresented, redetermined, redefined. Like, Marvel did everything they could to ruin them for a really long time. And it just seems really nice that they're finally being allowed to be a popular team again. 
so my second and last team is I just put in I made a general X-Men team and I put a collection of characters that I find weird and interesting enough to put on a team together. And this is just for me and this is my wish fulfillment of characters I like. So first I have Sage. Insert previous clip of me going on about my rant about Sage here. I'm um, Jonah and I think everybody should like Sage a lot more. I'm Jonah, <laughs> science stuff. I definitely said science stuff. Yes, that <laughs> very perfect imitation of me. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Second character is Dust. Um, Nico can confirm when Dust was introduced in New X-Men, I went insane over her. I am in love with Suraya. I think she is perfect. Mm-hmm. Nothing can change. Just nothing. Chef's kiss. Um, Nightcrawler, obvious reasons. that You go back and listen to any other episode where I find a way to bring into Nightcrawler how much I love him. I don't know if I've previously gotten to talk about my love of Boom Boom. So yeah, it's probably Yes, but Tabitha Smith is my everything because she is a mess and she never gets better. And I, Tabitha Smith is... <laughs> is beyond. But also, Tabitha Smith, this is going to be such a weird comparison. And something bad might happen to me. But Tabitha Smith is almost like Judy Garland to me in the sense that she's so tragic and so upset over everything. And she's like, just like crying on the floor, bottles somewhere. And you're like, how could you not fall in love with her? The only difference is I don't think Boom Boom sings. Um, no, you know what? I'm Funny, sure she if she's does. a drunk girl, yes, she does. I think she does, yeah. Yeah, I, she, well, she, she has a means. bottle singer. Like, facing a bottle of whiskey and singing. <laughs> My next character is Empath. I think every every team needs somebody who's a little bit of a hard-ass, and I think Empath, for me, represents that. He's such an asshole, but I love him so much. Oh, everything about him in Hellions, I think, is perfection. And, like, the everything, everything about Empath is just a really great character. And, like, how you do a very likable asshole. A character that you know you shouldn't like, but you really do want to keep rooting for him. Um, and then I have Maggot. And I just like Maggot. I just like Maggot's power set. I like Eenie and Meenie. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I've, done, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. But raising you... <laughs> I love uh, maggot like this on that, air that in front of these is a, people and god my next character is oya another character might be a little bit of deep cut for people but i think she's great i really love her and i love you know bring more black girls to the forefront mm-hmm. i i'm not controversial or brave for saying that i think that should just be a statement and then i have phantom max because i love messiness and i love characters i want to fuck on teams mm. so we have phantom x and if this is my world i get my say and then surprise contender i didn't put this in but if i really had my way i'd put respute in here oh. but i'm not allowed to because she technically doesn't exist in this timeline and i'm still mad about it that Marvel <laughs> created this most amazing character that's a uh, amalgamation of five different cool characters named Rasputin, and she's not here. You can have her. I gave myself Wild Thing from a long defunct Marvel sideline. You can have <laughs> Rasputin. I think one issue of Rasputin's title outsold the entire MC2 line combined. I you can have her. Mad respect. I appreciate the because I have a third team because I'm nuts. And it literally says alternate universe rogue, alternate universe Nate Gray, real dead girl, and real elixir. And they're a group of exiles. And they go to worlds on the verge of dying and ask a version of ask the version of the character from that world to replace a version who's died in another world. 
So I even came up with an Exiles book because Exiles is where my heart's at. Thanks, Judd Winnick. So and not the Chuck Austin. Do you hear me? So I really appreciate uh, a good Exiles team. Okay, so I want Emma Frost as a leader. And if anybody knows my history with Emma Frost, I used to like absolutely hate her. I fucking love her. I, I became a convert. But Emma Frost as your team leader um, with the cuckoos to help boost her power sets. We're going to add in Blink because the cuckoos and Emma can pretty much cover her tracks anywhere she needs to go. Sync because he can replicate any power set that the rest of my people have here which again is a really great booster. Shark Girl, because you need some physical muscle every now and again. I freaking loved her so much on Magic's Dark Stalker team. Uh, Dazzler, because um, hello, she's a freaking gun. She's amazing at what she does. She is a very competent fighter, and I don't think she gets enough uh, on panel time, because that's that me. Uh, Karma and Mystique. So basically, I've given you a team just that is just pure nightmare fuel if they use <laughs> each other correctly. Quite literally, pure nightmare fuel. But yeah, this is this is like a hit squad. So yeah, they go in, they can pretty much fuck up anybody that's in front of them psychic-wise. They have plenty of power boosters with them. Most, if not all of them, are also competent fighters. But like, your team is not just a hit squad. They're doing it in Dior and that's the mm -hmm. thing that makes it so fucking fine like that's <laughs> that's what's so hot about it I really love that yeah, yeah I, feel like, walk in. I feel like between Emma Dazzler and Mystique like the outfits are gonna be bitching right. like they're not gonna this isn't like you're never gonna see them coming but like when you do you're gonna be like oh wow and then Sharkle's gonna bite your arm off right. but like you're gonna be stunned for a moment either because of the looks or because of Dazzler and I think that that's powerful also there's only one guy and I think that's powerful as well I'm surprised that nobody included Grey Crow on their list. He's become such a fan favorite in such a <laughs> short period of time that it sort of surprises me that I mean I did three lists and didn't include him. So, you know, fuck me. But it's still kind of surprising. Like in thinking of Grey Crow, I want a book of like Grey Crow and other mutants who many of whom have been like, you know, exploited, not really gotten to like enjoy themselves as people called like old mutants. And it's just a slice of life about them hanging out in Krakoa or maybe vi visiting like Mask and Company at the golf course. Like I just want like them just getting to hang and not having to like kill people. Like maybe they shoot each other other in the head every once in a while but like it's fine but like they don't have to you know go murder morlocks or things like that like they can just drink and, and be chill and be funny and like like all the humor of hellions but like gray crow is drinking like a pina colada instead of like blowing up a mansion and lots of track suits yes or no clothes or no clothes yeah like or speedos if you have to like you know censorship or whatever like just give me like colossus style speedos just Greg Crow and the homies just chilling, you know? My brain went homies. to Destiny in just like a Russian tracksuit, just, you know, like speed walking around the mall. <laughs> Don't worry, I've already seen this in the future. I got this. <laughs> Like, maybe Mikhail's one of those, like, uh, you know, whatever, like, the, the Russian version of, like, a Chav is. Like, just, like, <laughs> Mikhail just hanging out. He's like, yo, I'm done with all that, like, you know, glass-nose perestroika stuff. I'm just going to hang out with my boy Grey Crow and, like, and drink. You're always like, ah, but I wonder what happened after the last page of this issue. I want there to be more, like, slightly older kids, and I want, because I want them 
team of just the kids led by uh, Maggie because the last issue of, of Excalibur made Maggie one of my favorite characters of all time. And I think she's absolutely hysterical. So now I need a kids team. Hmm. Yeah, I want like a Rugrats style kids team led by Maggie and it's like pre-X. <laughs> Prex if you're like really bad at uh, typography. That that sounds like a, like an STD cream <laughs> or I'm a honest. workout thing. <laughs> My insurance will only cover the generic Fred X. So, um, no, no. But the bumps go away after a while, right? Yeah, uh, after a while, that's what they say. So. Hey everybody, Nico here again. Now, X-Force 25 was kind of a wild ride, almost as wild as Wolverine riding an adamantium surfboard. I thought it was really hot, but I do understand the physics are kind of wild right now. The team had an incredible time discussing this issue. This issue also raised a lot of really interesting questions about perhaps the future of the idea of what X-Force is. Is it a book about this team? Is it a book about the mutant CIA? Is it a partner book for the Wolverine solo title? There's a lot of factors going and we know that a lot of things are going to change in the next coming months so it's going to certainly be an interesting ride to watch and until then enjoy this next segment and welcome back i'm one of your co-hosts arturo and today we're going to be covering x-force 25 hey guys i'm evelyn the comic canary you can find me on twitter instagram and now twitch at comic underscore canary Hey guys, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Drewsifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me on Twitter at AsleepAtTheWheel, W-E-I-L, and at AsleepAtTheWheel.com. And for the next year, as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate here in Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four, U.S. Senate, and at JoshWheel.org. And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And today we're covering Point Break. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We're covering... X-Force 25, but it is also a surf heist issue. We're going through some breakup woes on the other side of Krakoa, and today's story is written by Ben Percy. This artist was Robert Gill, stepping in for our usual Josh Kassara. Color artist Guru FX, and letterer VCs Joe Caramagna. What did you guys think of this issue? Let's, let's jump into it. First and foremost, we start off with picking up on a thread from way, way earlier in the series where Wolverine asked for a favor, asked for to create something for him. We get a reveal here that he's working on two things, one of which is not ready, and Wolverine is rude to ask about it, and the other thing is a giant sharp adamantium balsa wood surfboard. What do you guys think of this? Logan wants to tap into his his deep and passionate love for surfing. Yeah, this would have lost me like right at the beginning. Like, if I didn't, if this is one of those issues where if I didn't have to like if I wasn't committed before opening this that like I am obviously going to read all of this like if I was just going through random back issues of Wolverine and I'm like oh okay what's up with this one and we start off with like Wolverine has had like a secret deep abiding love of surfing I'd have been like now nah, we good next what what else do I got in the pile that's um, what that's what threw me the secret part of it because like I, I I don't know like I mean I've read a lot of comics and Wolverine I don't think I've ever seen any any mention of surfing from Wolverine ever. Surfing Wolverine was just, that was too hard a sell. It was too big a reach. 
And also, like, let's talk. We've made the comparison a number of times of Wolverine to Batman, right? That Wolverine is an incredibly versatile character. That you can do Wolverine westerns, and you can do Wolverine samurai stories, and you can do Wolverine mob stories, and you can do Wolverine space stories, and you can do like you can put Wolverine in so many different environments, and it yeah. and it works. But much like Batman, surfing is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even the cover, like, I, I saw the cover, and I'm just like, that's not a real cover. And then I got my, I, and then I got my book at the comic store. I'm like, this is a real cover. It, <laughs> like, I immediately thought point break. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And then the fact that he wants, I mean, it makes sense he wants a weapon surfboard. That's more Wolverine. But the fact that he's a surfer, just, I, I don't buy it. I just, I, I don't buy it. You mentioned the cover, and I just want to give a shout out. I got the variant, Real Wolf variant with Warpath, and it's beautiful. Just shout out to Maria Wolf or some incredible cover right there. And I guess Mike Spicer did one as well, but I'm not sure what his version looks like. I mean, the cover looks cool. It's just... It's just so not Wolverine. Well, the cover doesn't... I didn't have an issue with the cover because the cover is essentially surfers attacking Krakoa and Wolverine's going to defend it. Which Yeah, and totally that makes more sense than him suddenly surfing. The, the, yeah. the two biggest leaps that I just couldn't get behind were first, Wolverine is a secret surfer. And Wolverine weighs like 400 pounds covered in... You but know, there's some buoyancy physics human. issues yeah. here that need to be... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like just kind of skirted over. They even mentioned in the issue too the second is the wolverine the way wolverine's story in this goes down which is that wolverine gets essentially like duped and manipulated like it's his first fucking day on krakoa and it's like of any fucking character on krakoa like of right yes yes exactly you can't like, see you me like, but i'm rolling my eyes like, like if, if I'm you had my eyes if you this. switched these and you had like Blob logan <laughs> logan secretly going through and checking on the babies and quentin getting fucking duped over in the surf cove i would have bought this a hundred percent right like yeah like quentin like broken hearted and then he happens to meet this girl or literally any other character and like some young character some you know fresh face new mutant or whatever like but yeah it's wolverine because like right away i'm like okay first i guess like let's just you know suspend our disbelief that that he wolverine's always had this little you know hobby very passionate secret when he shows up there in like dead man's cove or whatever dead mutants cove and sees three other surfers like they're not mutants so how did they get here what they're just like hanging out like that doesn't send up any red flags to him he's just gonna like surf and have a good time and and not ask so how the hell did you guys get here like yeah wolverine is not the person to get duped like this i will say though i i had a a fleeting hope my favorite part of this whole comic was the moment where i thought that we were going to get something that we didn't get so when we didn't get it i was disappointed but there was a moment there that i thought that this was going to be the reintroduction of slipstream and lifeguard from Claremont's old uh, extreme X-Men run. Not two characters I really expected to ever see again, but like it's Krakoa, it would be interesting to see them. They were both mad into surfing and had crazy Australian accents. So it felt like, is that a coincidence? Or was Percy like doing that on purpose as a psych out? Or am I the only person that remembers these characters existed? No, I, I had that, especially when we see the first panel of him getting pulled out by like a blonde. Um, and honestly, in Gil's art, the way... The 
the way the blonde was drawn, the blonde surfer that Wolverine kind of falls for, there are some panels where she's like decidedly feminine. And then there are others where it's much more androgynous, where she's drawn with these kind of like stronger jaw, brow line, kind of typically masculine character or identifying features um, that make it a little more difficult to tell. So, you know, like she could have just been a big, long haired, blonde Aussie in some of the panels. So yeah, I, I got a little bit of that um, early on. But I will take back, I guess, what one thing I said before that I was like, how did these humans get here? There is a bit uh I'm, I'm looking at it right now where he, he's thinking to himself and he says there are so many mutants now thousands more but this one she gives me this feeling so yeah i guess he just thought that they were fresh you know food mutants he didn't know so i guess that solves that problem but yeah th- I, i'm with you with like like wolverine wouldn't get duped like this the the fact that like wolverine's not like smelling something on her or or getting some kind of like sixth sense or, or whatever that he's just this like country bumpkin like oh here let me point you in the right direction of the the, the babies yeah, no. of Prokoa. No, when, like... when she fucked up and got the map backwards, like your typical Wolverine comic should have had like the very next panel being her surprised face as like claws come through her because without question, he just picks up on it and stabs her. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah, the, the fact that he's like, oh no, here, let me draw you a more accurate map to find the mutant babies. I mean, God knows I love Percy or Sexy Lumberjack, but just this whole thing was just it, it just it didn't feel like Wolverine. I just it just it it just brought me out of it completely. The whole thing was just like, what are you doing, Logan? Like, what well, is wrong and, with you today? And like, let's take a step back, you know, further and just the blue balls of it all. Because X-Force 24, we end with hell of a cliffhanger, Colossus snapping that neck, being brainwashed, being, uh, you know, or, or mind controlled or whatever. Xavier knocking on his door. Like, we had some hot stuff on the stove here that we had to address. And like this, now nah, let's change gears and get into... To this like surf story of Wolverine being a dumbass just not what I expected and it felt so out of character and it just feels like a little side quest when we have Colossus on the Quiet Council being brainwashed like there's a big story I I, I don't have time for this distraction and and that's my other big thing about this is and because that's not a critique on the story but in terms of the story being delivered here in issue 25 issue 25 um, which could be like a milestone issue on the you know? on the the meta the meta sense of looking at this story and knowing that you know we're one two away from you know whatever the turnover is we know that there's this big you know 10 lives and deaths of Wolverine thing coming up we know that there's there's all this stuff right and we we've seen all this momentum and stories kind of coming to a head or preparing for the next chapter over the November December issues and we go from all of that to a story that felt like it could have been a filler like it could have been one that was sitting in the cabinet it for when like arts late a month like that this yeah. could come anytime and 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 was just and yeah like you said like kind of felt out of like whoa 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 like how is this how is this the issue that comes after 24 and on that when you look at the a cover which i have in my hands right now it says celebrating 25 issues with their deadliest mission yet and they didn't even they have, have a, a deadly mission. They just set they up a mission. A, they just set There's up a deadly no mission, mission. Yeah. which I'm going to make a bold prediction right now and say they're Atlanteans just because of that final page where it looks like they have gills. I'm just going to go Atlantean. 
um, right now because <laughs> I just want to see Namor. Uh, that but... would be exciting, yeah. If that's a way to yeah. get like Namor back or Namor back into the story, like that. That so they totally do have gills at the end, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm guessing Atlantean. It's it's like questionable a little in that final panel, but if you look at the top right panel on the final page, very very clearly explicitly drawn on all three characters' necks when they're in profile. Yeah. Yeah, and not, and not only that, like nobody even died in this issue, so it's just kind of like the, the cover. Except Quentin's heart. Yes. Oh yeah, <laughs> Quentin I hear, was like, crying in bed. That I I felt emotions for Quentin. Like he has somehow become one of my favorite characters when I never gave a shit about him before, and now this is happening, and it's just like no. Whenever I love someone, they get hurt. So that that is one of those like late arc late runs like if if we presume that like this X-Force run is kind of coming to an end or rolling into a new chapter or someone else is going to be telling these stories or whatever it is come January of 2022. The fact that we're at a point in this book where Percy is undoing some of the story that he built, you know, in terms of resetting some characters to status quo or putting them back in the same place he found them in the sandbox in terms of, you know, the Phoebe Quentin relationship or, you know, the position of you know the five um not the five the um the five sisters the cuckoos the five is another thing there's lots of yeah but there 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 are there's numbers the the five and one the five and one that's what i meant to say in terms of the five and one because you know we also saw we also saw that at the end of cable essentially with esme you know with the relationship with esme so which i just want to call out esme was always the one that would wear black like they all dress the same but so far in the Krakoan era the other girls would wear more white and Esme was always the one in more black now they're like all five in the same and and I did like the way that he brought that up and talked about it that like you know like they go off and they have their little dalliances but they come back to each other and so like Esme went through her little you know I'm gonna strike a little independence and now I'm back and then this is what they're telling Phoebe is like all right like time's up mama needs us I love that they, like, they're all telepaths, they share this hive mind, and yet there's, like, an email to Phoebe from the rest of the girls, <laughs> which, you know, might have just been, like, let's depict the telepathic conversation like this, but it just, it was cute thinking of it as an email. But yeah, Phoebe, enough is enough. Sisters before misters. <laughs> But their relationship was so nice and it was so cute to see Phoebe kind of like going out on her own because she didn't before. And but I do like that they are setting up that something's going on with the sisters. So I am curious what's going on mm-hmm. with the sisters. But at the same time, I'm like, Phoebe. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say a controversial thing. I, I love the five and one. I, I've always loved the separate cuckoos. I think they're great. I think when we whittled them down to three sisters and we had lost two, it helped because there were they still did that speaking in unison thing. They still had that whole hive mind thing. But it was, I think, more manageable for for writers to give each one kind of like a different personality or you know at least some kind of flavor and then that was taken a step further when they dyed their you know their hair different colors and I feel like now we're kind of like regressing where now that there's five again you really kind of lose that individual personality the two that we get are Phoebe and Esme right but like Esme's as right but Esme's lost in this like it's Phoebe and then all the other girls the other four are indistinguishable in this issue and I think that's kind and I think that's one of the things about them though is that when they're together they do blend but then they can strike off on their own and 
and have their own stories. And, you know, I- I'm glad that we've been getting, you know, say Phoebe here because the the three that survived the longest obviously got, you know, like we've seen them kind of develop and we know a little more about them um, overall. A lot of Esme's differences in the Grant Morrison run, um, particularly Planet X. So like we, we do kind of have that as longtime readers. And so I, I'm okay with the way that they, I, I like that they do kind of blend into each other when they're together. Well, yeah, because of the five in like one, I see like when they're together, they are the one. When yeah. they're separate, they are the five. Yeah. But going back to what you were saying, Evelyn, about like, I feel like right now the Emma really does need them because of everything that's going on in, in Inferno and kind of like that side of her aspect, the aspect of the grand scheme of things right like she just found out like the true nature of Krakoa so if she, you know Emma she's gonna probably want to do something about it and you know might get the Stepford cuckoos to help her out that's very true yeah I would love to see the cuckoos kind of doing basically what Sage does for X-Force I would love to see the cuckoos have a role like that over on Marauders I would love to see them like either being part of the team or part of like the strategy and comms but yeah I, I would love to see them more in the field and working with Emma to like to do stuff what did y'all think of the the art on them particularly on the pages where you know we're seeing the five of them all laying out in the field together i love that panel that was cool the hair all melding together like I that love was the, cute i love the style of it you know yeah i love gill's art on logan i love the way that he had drawn um the facial expressions um i love the anatomy the musculature uh, particularly you know we had so much logan body and logan body is such a questionable thing because he's always drawn like too tall or too rough but you know he was this just short broad musculature um the the physical shots on here i thought were were gorgeous and you know with the coloring and the water um, i I love the logan art on the other though i i thought that the facial features were not as crisp and that in some of the areas with the cuckoos or some of the other parts of the quentin story that it felt like gil was trying to figure out which other artist he wanted to kind of model after like in some areas it felt like he was trying to do the Cohen like RB Silva Marte Gracia thing and in others it felt a little more like he was going after some of the quietly art from like new X-Men particularly like you could really see it in the clothes the way he kind of drawn like the extra wrinkles and shadows in the clothes um, and it it just felt like he was trying to do someone else on some of them like it was just a little bit off or re- it, it felt replacement the Wolverine art did not feel replacement the Wolverine art and I think my favorite is just that that look on his face on the first one where we see him staring out on dead mutant cove after he gets the surfboard like the the wolverine art i thought was was top and the colors are beautiful I, mm-hmm. like especially with mm-hmm. the water like yeah. the colors i think were really great i agree though the art was a little inconsistent but i was okay with it except for one thing and i just want to point out a simple fact of comic books drawing babies is hard and uh what do we see that baby what's his name max maximilian max what are the chances that quentin choir would take a shining to a maximilian max that is an ugly ass baby oh i thought he was cute <laughs> oh he looks like a little old man I think babies look I like mean, little babies old men. Too. Yeah, I, like I said, hey, I prefaced it by saying baby drawing babies is hard. But, you know, I, I, I'm adding this to the, li- like, there are images like uh, Wanda's kids in the bathtub. If you've seen that panel, like, oh. that's a good I- illustration of, like, drawing babies is hard. This, I, I'm adding drawing this Drawing babies is file. hard. Gil definitely struggled with the size ratio compared to other things. You know, there's one panel where the size of the baby definitely has it more in 
in the infant range and there's another one where like that boy is like two years old and they're adjacent <laughs> but just like the size of the baby in comparison to the arm that's given as reference and then the baby's in the panel full stock with the whole body and it's like that baby is bigger than Phoebe's whole torso like that 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 is a that is a child yeah <laughs> I do love though that Quentin tells Phoebe the story about a baby who had like a power surge right this Maximilian Max and now how he comes down here and kind of like soothes the babies telepathically and thought that was a sweet story beat you know for for Quentin I think Oh, agreed. I think Quentin's such a tricky character because like there's no, for me, it's impossible for me to ever see him and completely forget about how he was introduced, right? In the riot at Xavier's and kind of like the the like shit stain that he was at, at his introduction. And he was like basically a prototype for incels kind of <laughs> in a way from back then. Like yeah. he yeah. was, you know, ahead of his time kind of. I know he's grown and changed a lot. I know that, you know, he's got the potential to be a, a white phoenix, you know, of the crown or whatever. Like that's, I know he's, there is good there. And I know that like Percy's obviously dedicated many issues to to rehabilitating him but it's it's impossible for me to shake off my my initial vibes of Quentin Quire I like him as a character but like I, I always feel like I don't fully buy it even at his most vulnerable I'm like waiting for him to to, to do something I like especially when we go back to the idea that you know like people aren't born broken like other people break them and you know Percy definitely has the, there's some similarities in some of his writing to Tom King in the sense that he likes you know bringing in in shadow organizations and you know that kind of like intelligence aspect and he likes touching on trauma and you know the fact that that shit tends to go together because the people who do one have the other one way one way or another they're gonna have the other and so you know dealing with Quentin as you know someone who had a lot of fucking trauma that he finally began unpacking and dealing with right someone who had no secure attachment and now with Phoebe is making his first secure attachment in terms of being able to, you know, have those relationships that you know, he just he never had as a child. I very easily buy and believe the next step in this journey is him, you know, wanting to shelter, protect, prevent those who would have the trauma that he had or, you know, those in the phase where he had that trauma or lost that secure attachment. I completely believe by that as in the next step of the, you know, trauma rehabilitation process. The jump is into him daydreaming about having babies with Phoebe was a little much but the rest of that I, I completely buy because this is I mean this is the work like in order for him to be you know he is doing work on himself to unpack that drama and, and this is what mm -hmm. that's going to look like like these are the things people are going to catch him doing when he's not being you know as you said a shit state and that's why I love it his character development so much that's why he's become one of my like top characters in the Krakoan era is because he was a shit stain and he realizes that and that's something that I always appreciate is when people like realize it's like oh I was a shit stain let me improve so it's more instead of being like oh just forget the past I'm a new person kind of thing it's like no you have a past and you're learning from it and it just I just really like that for him and I really think that that's important for like for readers like young readers like me where it's like yeah I was a shit stain as a teenager too and it's like okay watching this character development is like yeah I can develop too so I think it's good for like for younger readers seeing that 
like for 20 somethings. Yeah. And it's, and it didn't happen overnight either. Right. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we saw a lot more uh, sympathetic view of Quentin back when Wolverine was running the school. Right. Like there were a bunch of issues with Quentin and he was still, you know, not the, not the greatest guy, but like he is an interesting POV character. He's like an interesting insert for some readers. I don't, I wouldn't say that Jason Aaron rehabilitated his character as much as kind of found more playful, enjoyable ways to use him and set like the future. Like Aaron and Bendis really did set the future that like this character can or will be rehabilitated, but never really started that like process. Right. Just kind of gave us the glimpse or the knowing that, yeah, 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 like this. Oh, no, no. Like look into the future. He can be this. But he was very much a, a fun antagonist for Logan, I felt like through. Uh, through a lot of Jason Aaron, Wolverine, and the X-Men. Right. Yeah, because he yeah, was no. never shy to call bullshit on Logan's bullshit. He was there to make Logan crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Before Krakoan era, that was kind of his his role. Like that was his personality. Is just like he was an anarchist, right? Like and just like doing whatever the opposite of what other people were doing, just to like rile people up. And obviously that got like you know the rioted Xavier's and then and that and yeah. No, you're absolutely right. He was a complete anarchist, just doing the opposite of what people said just to fucking do it. But now he's like taking an initiative and doing good. But that's something that I like really like about his character because it's something like it's it's something new and fresh he would also have done really well in like a new mutants so let's also point out like we're 25 issues in to x-force and characters who have been given um you know growth characters who have you know definitely had you know a deeper look or or development or arcs um and done well you know when we're talking about you know the stuff we've seen with wolverine the stuff that we're seeing you know obviously all the attention on wolverine the stuff that we're seeing with quentin and so forth you know black tom characters who uh whose growth has been handled sloppily or not at all or who have maybe uh regressed domino sage yes. like there's mm-hmm. we're, we're deep enough in this and have a large enough sample size i think that um you know we can see that Percy is not as comfortable or does not have the hand to be doing this for female characters and that that's and it's so it's it is it's frustrating though because like we're about to get into you know 10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine we have a whole other Wolverine book like we get so much Wolverine in X-Force I was so happy last issue that we got Colossus I was like oh shit Percy remembers that Colossus is you know on his roster awesome I could have if if we weren't continuing with that story this issue really could have been about literally any other characters on X-Force. Sage and Domino would have been excellent. Like, just give me a whole book, just a whole issue of the two of them having some kind of interaction or playing off each other, or Sage and Black Tom. Like, Black Tom made a textual appearance in this, but like, you don't even see him on page. But we've got this whole cast. I just don't understand the desire to say, okay, wait, we're going to take a break from, like, actual stories that are going forward. We're going to do this baby heist. Who am I going to write it about? Wolf like i just don't i don't get it like it's it's frustrating i've really cooled on this book because i feel like i've overdosed on wolverine and i love wolverine but like fuck there's so many other characters we could be playing with right now we've also already had a baby heist kind of story or baby kidnapping storyline in cable yeah Yeah, we sure did yeah and i mean when you have a character like wolverine on x-force i mean handled 
properly, I think we should expect to see lots and lots of Wolverine centric covers to help sell that bitch. But not necessarily like doesn't mean that the interiors have to all be Wolverine stories. Like we get that Wolverine sells comics and you know why you put him in more books. But yeah, th there's there's a whole team here that is not getting you know, like there's a huge 25 issues into this, right? 25 issues of X Force. Domino has been served less than literally any member of X Factor in those 10 issues. Yep. I want more Domino. She's it, awesome. It just doesn't She's make got sense. Got a whole team here. It just doesn't make sense, like, not to use these other characters. Like, yeah, and I feel like we've said this before on about uh, this book, and it's just, and like, we've been through it. Like, we've had we've had issues, like, single uh, character viewpoints of, uh, you know, Domino's had one, uh, Quentin's had Domino one. had one back in like the first yeah, four or five I'm, issues. Like, I Domino's know. was like right. one of the but, first issues. Yeah, yeah but did, Dom, Coloss yeah. did Colossus even have one though? A, a uh, little bit. There was like there Black. was like that story with like Domino and colossus which was actually horrible um but black like tom no follow-up on that really. yeah no black, black tom well we just had that black tom and beast uh yeah. you know romp through beast we digestive tom. system we had we tom we had uh, we tom but i feel like it would be i feel like it would be cool to have like a Osmosis just like um, Jones. like a like a black tom story just like like similar to this like war oh, yeah. story like where it, it's basically just black tom like no other really members of x-force or that i think that's like, why this was black so tom and krakoa i think that's that's why this was so frustrating is because in the last two issues of X-Force, we have had a little change of pace. We've gotten Black Tom, we've gotten Colossus, and it felt like, oh, cool, maybe we're like getting this new vibe. And then it just, this felt so like, okay, we're back to the Logan story. In a team book like this, it's a tried and true, like we've seen it so many times where, you know, okay, you take a break in between or after big story arcs or whatever, and you have your downtime issue. Like where are the characters on downtime kind of resetting, touching base on their relationships, their own arcs whatever and that's really what this was except we only did logan and quentin like we had textual appearances of sage and black tom we didn't even get domino we didn't get coloss like we didn't get beast do you remember when we got like forge's logbook and it had like his workout routine and like stuff he's inventing and like i love that so fucking much like that gave such a little you know like like such flavor to forge and what a missed opportunity that we haven't had one forge issue in a whole 25 yep. issue run like mm -hmm. forge has been absolutely just a supporting character there he's he's you know there when you need a gadget like period like he's such an interesting character you could have done a whole lot with him even if it was just him tinkering in his lab and kind of like giving us some insight into what he's working on and like this organic technology those early arcs you know like when we still remember we say we're like well we had some great forge moments so we had some great black tom moments Mo we had that domino issue all of that shit happened in like the first six issues yeah like the yeah. great forge moments are like that that data page logbook and him in the exoskeleton suit smashing the two ripped apart parts of logan back together so they can heal yeah. like him smushing logan back together was like the best forge panel we've gotten and that was a long time ago. a long time ago i mean we had wolverine quentin and forge go deep sea diving or whatever there was that issue and Mm -hmm. you know like looking at the cover that's what i thought this issue was going to be related to yeah 
and it might if these are Atlanteans, we might be getting back to that. But I mean, yeah, that's true. In twenty six, but then like that's it. Then we're in January and shit's turned over. And at the end of the day, <laughs> X Force is supposed to be a team, and it's nice having a couple issues where they focus on individual people, but they haven't really been focusing on it as a team, and that's something that I kind of miss. Well, and the whole like purpose of the team, like this is another frustration. Over in Inferno, we've seen now, you know, Hickman kind of like filling in the gaps and telling us about all of these times that X-Force has assaulted, you know, or, or made an assault on the Orcus space station and tried and failed. And like, we've never seen that. But like, if we're not going to see that directly here in this book, like there are other missions I'm sure they could be on, right? Like this just, th- I feel like X-Force right now is completely rudderless. Like we're not, like the purpose, like the, the direction of the book is really murky. It's really just like the Wolverine and Friends variety hour. Percy has done a lot of telling over showing like like you're just saying like not just that one time we've had multiple times where you know instead of telling a story that fits into what the the vision statement of this book is he's telling whatever other story and we get like a data page telling us that there were nine other stories that happened and we didn't see like that were you know the black ops the covert the dropping bodies the dealing with Orcus like but it's if you're going to do that the stories you tell have to be better than the stories you didn't right exactly bro exactly and like the one frustrating thing that i find about it is like yeah this book has been like a little bit frustrating but i find i like i actually like the plotting has been frustrating but his his, like his actual writing i think is so good so i get frustrated because i see the potential of how like really good this book can be oh and he he flexed a little in part on this too he got very purple probably more than more than we've gotten from writers in the modern era on many of the other books like he his you know description or his logan's internal monologue or exposition about the surfing and what the waves mean and like yeah that's what i was gonna pull like i was gonna read that but yeah like it's just like really colorful and like like it's it's just like really beautiful kind of like poetry almost and like that's what frustrates me because i I love that for like like to have Lo- that be kind of logan's internal monologue but it's just like we just need the story to be there and then everything will be like oh the series is so good yeah i just i feel like he i mean he's definitely talented like the you know I, I love percy's writing and but it just feels like there's not a clear mission anymore with this book like there was a point where early on where it felt like okay we're gonna see some you know wolverine and gene gray kind of that's gonna be a story and like that's that obviously went nowhere and gene's off book and that's fine but like that at least felt like there was some clarity you know like it felt like he had some interest in in writing that story now it just feels like a very disjointed thing like this doesn't even feel like a team book in any way anymore it's like an ensemble cast and they interact loosely but like there's there's no there's no vibe to it you know it, it doesn't feel cohesive they never really you know got a base i mean i guess they do they have that you know beast like cave under the waterfall or whatever but like you don't get a sense of them as a team like there's not they don't have a, a tree house in central park they don't have the boneyard like they don't and that again is like i think a missed opportunity to kind of yeah. give this team a mm-hmm. vibe and an interior and like bonding them together fuck the fact that hellions such a ragtag group of misfits feels like a you know tight-knit unit compared to this is shocking we need to see more of their boardroom meetings 
this is the closest maybe with him feeling tingly over the Atlantean. Which when you're saying it like now I'm. That he I'm, couldn't sniff out until it was a fish chick. Right. And now I'm angry about that all over again. Like the fact that he was this like, is, sometimes you fall hard and fast. It's like, what? Like This is James Logan Howlett. This is the man who knows what every female ex character's menstrual blood smells like. <laughs> he has a, he is in canon explicitly in text on record of saying that he can recognize like by the smell of their menstrual blood every fucking because there's been so many bad male writers on this over the years but he can't tell fish chick is a fish chick or maybe he well okay to play devil's advocate maybe he Uh, thought it was a mutation but that still doesn't explain like everything like if she was confused about the map of Krakoa that should have been a red flag like, even if he thought she was a mutant and smelled like, oh, this is a fishing mutant, like, it, I feel like he would know that it's with the theory that they're Atlanteans right now, he would know that. Or he would know, oh, this isn't a mutant, this is something else. And I, and now I'm getting angry. Yeah, no, like, here's the thing, though. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Josh, about the, like, the lack of connections. And it's a, another huge missed opportunity because, like, you've got Laura, you've got uh, Akiro docking on the island, you've got Gabby. Like there's characters that you could be doing something with Logan. Like if you're not going to be telling us like a black ops story of, you know, infiltrating enemy lines, blah, blah, blah. If you're just going to give us the Wolverine, you know, dicking around on the beach episode, then it could be with Gabby or it could be with, you know, like. Yeah, add the kids. He should have been surfing with Dakin. Yeah. How cool would that be? Like it, it would make so much more damn sense for like him to be making some kind of connections. Like we're on Krakoa. It's paradise. You have like, I need, frankly, I need like a whole lot more about Krakoan culture and like just a day in the life of, and kind of what else, like what are people doing when they're on Krakoa? If they're not in a mission or, you know, on a, on a book doing something active, like what are they, how are they just like whiling away the days? Like I I do hope we get a new anthology series because Hickman's X-Men was the original anthology series we got to be able to kind of jump around into places and use for whatever they wanted or give a slice of life stories and it's kind of what x-men unlimited is on the marvel well, i mean that's what it says on the tin but like x-men unlimited has been kind of nuts yeah. uh yeah. we'll be so, covering that i guess on the on the show soon but yeah like i mean that yeah that's a that's a whole other topic but i'm glad it exists i'm glad that there is another venue for for telling stories that you know might not be uh as big and important or as profitable as as you know tie-ins and, and crossovers over on the main line i'm glad that they are just doing some different with unlimited but like you know what i was thinking recently i really i think we're all due for a new uh like a new academy right like there should be a new school book that is the new school on krakoa and it's like kids and like give me like that kind of like high school drama you know bs like isn't, isn't that what our, our new mutants book is with rain boy and gabby and cosmar cosmar yeah i mean yes i guess that's that's like what it's supposed to be i i don't know i just i'm not nostalgic for like let's go back to the mansion honestly but like i would like there to be a building and kind of 
classes and you know that kind of just don't these kids need kid a drama yeah these kids actually structure. need a school like kids some structure, structure. yeah really like do. new mutants feels more like exclusively pe right like it's camp it's camp it's summer it's, camp it's it's, it's it's outdoor it's more physical it's like but i'm talking about like a school and books and like no i can't you know i am also talking about like give us like other venues right like because all those kids wouldn't always just be hanging out at the green lagoon right so give us uh, a whole other place like a little Krakoa coffee shop like i want i want that kind of just like interior lives of Krakoa. bagel trees we need all bagel those trees. coffee shop au fanfics yes yeah i hate to say it but this was this issue was a miss yeah. for me well i had one other big thing and it was near the end it was the stuff with sage and black tom and the fact that you know black tom's picking up or thinks that there's a caper the fact that you know logan's been asking about you know it just felt like a huge for the fact that like the one thing that they're all supposed to be like you had one job like they're the intelligence people and they're they're having these conversations like we're getting their conversations on data pages and in exposition in order to tell the story for us so we know that Sage knows Logan is out at the surfing point and is having conversations with him about being there. We know that Sage knows from Black Tom that it is a potential weak spot in his defenses because the waves are so big they mess up his phytoplankton sensors or whatever the fuck. But the fact that there's no connection there, the fact that like Logan's going out to the one spot that is a giant potential security breach and we know this and we didn't inform him of that and so random mysterious people showed up and it didn't set off his spidey sense. Like just felt, it felt like bad it just it just felt like bad story to like, you, you made them all bad at what they did which just like should plot hole after plot hole after plot. Yeah. yeah yeah which was disappointing like you know we should be seeing how you know like the intelligence network is so strong that like they pick up on all sorts of shit like this effortlessly not that like look at how many people drop the ball at once like yeah and like the whole adamantium thing too is just like it, it bothers me because we just spent the last like how many like 60 years saying that you know his skeleton is lined in adamantium the strongest you know metal on blah 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 and it like but he's a surfer just like of course if you weigh 400 pounds of adamantium the solution is balsa wood wrapped in more adamantium first and second oh yeah let's make sure to make it razor sharp edges <laughs> that way when i wipe out it might decapitate i can kill myself like, like yeah. anyway yeah like th- th- that very much aside like uh, you know not to keep talking about inferno but it's it's a little frustrating that in just a couple of pages hickman did more with the idea of x-force as like a cia network and having spies and like we had one panel of tommy the morlock and i'm still not over it like there's so much opportunity to open up the the cast more to make sage kind of like a central character where she's there like you know the at at the keyboard or whatever coordinating different things and missions and like having different characters out in the field but like that's just not at all And that's the biggest thing the x line is going to be missing from hickman you know on his departure next month is just like that he can step in and do months of work yes moving characters stories ideas in a fucking page yeah yeah and it's like, and it's almost like everybody kind of is relying on that almost like it's like i can clean up any mess right they have someone in the x office who can clean up any mess you make he's and, a giant safety net and he's the one that is moving goalposts he's the one that's hitting them and then moving on to the next like and it's like okay he's doing that we're just here in this on this field now 
now and we're telling these yeah. stories, but we're not moving it forward. Oh, no. They're playing in the sandbox. He built the fucking sandbox. Right. It's yeah. a very different thing. Yeah. Like some of them are better at playing in the sandbox than others. And some we of them are building seen, more stuff too. Some of them are in the sandbox. We have not seen any building. of them, even the ones that we love, like, you know, even Aaliyah Williams and as phenomenal as just about everything she writes is, we have not seen that she is capable of building a sandbox. Right. And Tinny, where like, you know, I, I've been critical of some of some issues here and there, but I hats off to Tinny Howard because you look at what she's accomplished and what she has built, you know, in, in the, about the same amount of issues, right? Right around 25. She's done a lot. She's she's built teams. She's she's grown the characters. There's been changes. It hasn't always hit for me, but I can't deny the accomplishment. Here, I feel like we started off with one team. We kind of lost a couple of players and it's, it never has felt like a team. At best, it has been about Wolverine and, and Quentin. It's a Quark. great comparison, Excalibur, to X-Force. Because in Excalibur, we say explicitly that, you know what? Teeny spent a lot more time world building and she's done a tremendous amount of world building in other worlds, right? And the cost of that was that she hadn't, she was not able to spend as much time on the characters as we would have liked. On X-Force, he did not do world building and has no excuse for why the cost is. He hasn't spent as much time on the characters. <laughs> he somehow also has not been able to do that, but didn't do the massive world building that Teeny did either. All the shit that people rightfully give Beast. I will say at least Beast is an interesting character that keeps things moving. Like if Beast mm -hmm. is afoot, like at least there is some plots and some fuckery going on. You take him out of the equation and it's just like, I don't know what this book is anymore. The defining contribution for me of this book is Joshua Kassara art. Absolutely. Yeah. Wholesale. Yeah. yeah. Visually, I mean, it's, and, and I will say this, when they have had guest artists step in, it they've done a great job of selecting artists and, and artists that can kind of fit in the style because the visual identification of x-force is really clear in my mind the purpose of the book and like what they've done and what they've accomplished is much less clear I still, this is something we mentioned a while back, but I still think that this would have been better served as being a, instead of having a Wolverine series and an X-Force series, just having one book, Wolverine and X-Force, that was, you know, $4.99 a month or, you know, came out 18, -ish, published 18 issues a year or whatever, and more than just one title, but less than two, and literally it's, it's just, it's Wolverine and X-Force, like, as opposed to the Wolverine solo and then the as a whole second thing like I think they would have been less would have been more it seems like it's been more character driven than plot driven and that can be good and it has been good but like this issue it just it was kind of a flop um at least on the wolverines part of it it was a little bit of a flop when it was character driven and I want more plot driven I want more plot because that's what X-Force is they are an elite team that does stuff here and I just I, I, I want that that's why I'm reading it but I'm not getting it again I love you Percy so much. I want food. Please feed me. Yeah. I, I, and like what, what I'm worried about now is that the next issue is, is going to pick up on this plot, right? Like we are going to get further with this story. And this is like the story that I'm least interested in right now is this little baby heist, like small potatoes. Like we've got McHale in play. We've got Omega Red out there with vampires. We've got beast fuckery. We've got all the potential storytelling around Sage and Domino. Like there's so much that could be done. And I know 
that that's not what's coming next next issue. I, I, I don't expect to get any resolution on what happened with Colossus, but I'm sure I'm going to learn more about these goddamn Atlantean, possibly, uh, baby kidnappers. Like, Well, uh, it was set up that the, some of the babies have, like, really intense powers as infants. So I that kind of adds stakes. They're, they're swimming downward. They're not swimming out. They're swimming down in the final panel. So I feel like Evelyn nailed it in terms of Atlantis. I it, honestly, hats off, Evelyn, because like I, in my head, I was kind of like, are these going to be, you know, some form of like the Reavers or, you know, kind of like a, a, a different version of a threat we've already seen. If um, I'm wrong, I'll be upset. But as long as it's done okay, I won't be that upset. <laughs> Yeah, I I had not even thought of them as possibly being Atlanteans, but I I do like that theory and I like that that would open up to like a bigger story because then you're you're talking about like Atlantis versus Krakoa, then you're talking Mm -hmm. about Nam or like there's there's something to be had there. I hate getting on here and complaining. I mean, you guys know, I like like to like things. I like to be excited about things. I like to like, you know, it's not like this was horrible. It's just, it's impossible for me to look at it critically and and not think about everything else it could and should have done and i know that's not like necessarily helpful you got to kind of like just take it for what it is but the art was beautiful i liked looking at it that's for sure especially like even though the surfing was very out of character for wolverine the art for it was spectacular agreed at least it was pretty Hey everybody, so Nico here one last time. Now I love the It's Jeff Infinity comics. Now I've actually been a pretty big fan of the Infinity comics in general. There have been a number of interesting Infinity comics connected to the X-Men verse. We here at Access for Podcast have already covered It's Jeff 1 through 4, as well as X-Men Unlimited 1 through 4. Now we've covered a few other titles like the Shang-Chi Infinity comic, and we have intentions of continuing to cover the rest of the titles as Marvel has been releasing them, as Marvel Unlimited has begun to release an unbelievable number of titles at this point. It's almost kind of hard to keep up. So keep an eye out for further coverage of Marvel Unlimited here on Access for Podcasts. And until then, guys, we love making this show for you every week. Enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Don't forget to check us out on social media at X's for Podcast. I've been Nico Action. You can find me at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and we'll see ya. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And that makes me Kevo, and you can find me over on the social medias at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Pete Jonah. That's P-E-A-K, and we hope you survive this experience because this episode is a cuteness overload of one Mr. Jeff. Jeff the Shark. Jeffrey! Yeah, we are absolutely here to talk about season one of Jeff, which should just be called, you know, the goodest night being the goodest of boys. If this is your first time checking out our coverage of Marvel Unlimited's It's Jeff Infinite Comics, then just to refresh you on who Jeff is, Jeff is a character created by the writer of this as a sort of sidekick to Deadpool. Now, one of the things that's so interesting about Jeff is that Jeff has less than 10 appearances 
is prior to his mini ongoing. So now, Jonah, I know you're not on the first four issues with us. So what did you think of that opening salvo of Jeff? Oh, I loved it. So I am a little bit familiar with Jeff the Shark. Jeff the Shark being friend of Deadpool, who over in the pages of his most recent run was King of Staten Island. And Jeff made a beautiful appearance over there where Elsa Bloodstone realized that she wasn't able to take care of Jeff in the best way possible. So she handed them back to Deadpool and Deadpool was like, okay, cool. And Jeffrey, Jeffrey Shark was quite possibly one of the greatest things about that book. Yeah, no argument here. Now we're talking about Jeff in his Marvel Infinite comic, It's Jeff, which ran 12 issues. Now this past week saw the season finale of It's Jeff run. All 12 issues were created by the same creative team. Now the writer, Kelly Thompson, was the original writer who created the character over in the pages of Deadpool. On this title, she was joined by Gira Hiru, who did all of the pencils, inking, colors, and letters. The title was edited by office editor Stephen Wacker. And the first four issues, Pool Party, Shark Cycle, Sheep's Clothing, and Captain of Fun, were previously covered by Kevo and myself. Now today, we're going to be taking a look at issues 5 through 12, Holland Days, Scourge of the Seven Seas, Thief for Justice, Jeff the Magnanimous, Chum Like It Hot, Tummy Trouble, Jeff's House, and Jeff's Giving. Now, these 12 stories really do paint an interesting picture of Jeff. We could talk about the sort of Snoopy-esque quality of some of the stories, or perhaps maybe the closer to a stitch of of the Lilo and fame. Yeah. I was going to say Garfield. Yeah. Okay. What we're talking about is a character that Marvel is working to create a visual identity and a sort of cultural shorthand that this guy is like a scamp and he's a, a, a playful nut and you just sort of love him like a Disney dog that belongs to a Disney princess. Only here, the Disney princess is Deadpool. That tracks. So I found myself fascinated by the duality of how they played Jeff at different times. We're given in stories like Holland Days, issue five, a tale where Jeff is just as sweet as a pupper can be. He's not quite a dog. He's kind of a Disney dog, but he's almost like a baby. And Hmm. he's just sweet and cute. And sure, he runs the danger of being cloying. But once again, I think what we're dealing with is sort of a Grogu kind of identity. Of course, I find this interesting because I contrast it with the sixth issue directly. Scourge of the Seven Seas, which I literally just kept thinking, oh my goodness, until the reveal at the end with Jojo, I can't wait to get to your reaction to Kate. But until that reveal at the end, that could have just been a Deadpool story. Yes, it really could have been. This one was my favorite. I loved everything about this because uh, when I first read this, even though I saw the ducks, I was like, what is Jeffrey doing out in the ocean? Why is he diving deep? What is Modoc doing there? <laughs> and so I kind of fell for it a little bit because I wasn't paying that much attention to it. But then I looked at it and I was like, oh, he's just being a cutie. This is how he views the world and he wants to do import- important missions too. Well, and hear me out. I kind of felt like it could have been a payoff where it turned out Jeff the Landshark had just been going out to get a nectarine 
Like it could have been Jeff did all of this stuff and then he got home and Kate was like, what'd you do? And he was like, you know what I mean? And like that could have been the joke. But instead, it turned out it was a bathtub magic kind of Mary Poppins. Anything can happen if you let it sort of scenario. I knew right from the beginning. I love stories like that with the, you know, secret adventure. Nobody knows what Jeff gets up to. But as soon as I saw the ducks, I knew where it was going. I was I was a little boy just like Jeff who loved to play in the bathtub. So I knew what he was doing. I sometimes love the way that this book allows us avenues to conversation and discussion that are sort of capable of allowing us to discuss the work on a really textual level, but also allow us sort of a metatextual level. The seventh adventure, Thief for Justice, sees an incredible coalition of heroes involved. You know, we've got Cat, we've got Kate, we've got Miles, we've got Stephen, Falcon, Widow, Deadpool. And it's ultimately that Jeff has stolen all of these super tools, but this was actually the major running plot of the Marvel Universe for a couple of months, where Moon Knight stole, like, the Phoenix Force and the Eye of Agamotto and the Iron Fist and, like, (laughs) turned himself into a super god in the name of Khonshu and they had to bring him down (laughs) so like this so cute and also kind of in a weird way might make room in a reader's mind for the possibility that something like that maybe could happen it just it's the sort of cross branding that i think people don't realize actually does affect people you know jonah you might be able to speak to this a little bit more but the cartoons you grew up with they're sort of the characters that are becoming movies now look at the rise of miles in the form of into the spider verse and i still got my fingers crossed that i'm going to get my miles in uh, into the spider three many spider thirds home yeah so this issue specifically uh was kind of like a here's who the people that Jeff interacts with and here's Jeff being a little scamp because that's what he is he's a little scamp that stole all their equipment and used it to defeat them it's a common trope you'll see in a lot of superhero media and especially stuff that I grew up watching like I can think of multiple episodes of Teen Titans when Silky would cause havoc but Silky is so adorable for those who are not familiar with the original Teen Titans TV show Silky was a little worm that Starfire adopted and he was he was meant to be a big giant villain that was going to destroy the city a la Mothros but Silky was too good and he loved Starfire too much that he exploded into a baby form again wreaked havoc and it was just very cute and he just eats everything and he likes to pretend to be Robin sometimes because who doesn't so this felt very familiar to me in the sense of here's just some characters that Jeff loves to interact with and Jeff has access to their houses uh, if it's not just specifically the Avengers Tower because I'm pretty sure Doctor Strange doesn't live in the Avengers Tower, so I don't know how exactly. Doctor Strange lives in the Sanctum Sanctorum, which I am always so afraid I'm going to horribly mispronounce on air. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so seeing Jeff kind of wander around different houses, unabated, unstopped, and being just the goofiest little boy in the world, pretty reminiscent of stuff that I grew up with. Something that I really love about your point, Nico, in regards to how this reflects what's going going on in the current line of comics is 
that it then almost feels like a New Yorker-esque satire cartoon of what's going on in the current line of comics, but they balance it in such a way that you don't need to know that that's what's going on in the current Marvel comics for you to enjoy this Jeff strip. It's just something that adds to the experience. If you're reading the comics as they're going and you're seeing these storylines happening, you can read this Jeff strip and be like, oh, that's kind of, that's that's like that. That's funny. And I love your use of satire because I don't think all satire is negative. And now, you know, if you don't know me, you don't know my love of satire, but I think satire can be loving and warm and like, you know, a playful roast where the person's in on it. And like, yeah. it's so it's so funny and sweet and silly and cute that he did this because he's a shark. It's not the same thing as Moon Knight, but at the same time, it does sort of play sort of a humorous game against itself. Now, OK, I have to say something that is so funny fucking stupid and over the top but jeff the magnanimous number eight this was like a fucking don bluth film okay because this story sees jeff go into his local fishmonger who jeff just happens to be friends with i guess and he's like hey fishmongy i would love some yum yum fish guy and jeff's like okay and then this cat walks in like every fishmonger just is like oh let the cats in i mean but i guess like every fishmonger is like let the walking talking baby shark in anyway so the cat comes in and the cat's like i think i want fish but then jeff's like and the cat's like i'm scared i've got anxiety and runs away and so then jeff is like i'm gonna go home with my fish and the cat's like i'm hungry and my family's poor and jeff's like never mind cuddle with me here's my fish and okay so that was a pretty pretty succinct (laughs) this i can't believe i just described this comic for so long but anyway, the point of what I'm getting at is if you paint it in the right light, it's really kind of tragic and sad in like a lay Miz kind of way. I get that. It it was structured in a really weird way, too. Like you don't get that Jeff is giving the fish to the cat because it has babies until like after it's already happening. And like I, I, I don't know. I felt like it was structured in a really weird way where I don't know if they maybe thought it was too tragic and pulled back because on paper, yeah, there's a lot of, as you compare it to, Don Bluth-esque, you know, heightened, emotional, sad story to this one. And All dogs yet, that steal bread go to jail. And yet it, it feels like they pulled it back super hardcore. I don't really know where I'm supposed to be left with this story. So this story was a little, it did feel a little weird because it, to me, not that I didn't find it cute and adorable and to see Jeff be a the goodest of boys and share his food. But I I don't I don't know if it really fits anywhere. It, it feels, I feel like a lot of the other issues were Jeff specific things that could have happened. And this didn't feel like a specific thing that could have happened only to Jeff. You could have kind of taken any pet in the Marvelverse and made it this story. Yeah, you know, there wasn't anything particularly scamp about it. Like, I could see Lockjaw being like, no, you can't have my space fish. And then ultimately being like, yes, I've changed my mind. Small baby space Aconte that belongs to Brew. You can have my fish. Oh my god, if there was a space Aconte Jeff that belonged to Brew, I'd die. 
because you'd be a space whale. (laughs) Uh, Now, we kind of make a weird pivot in in a good way. Like, I don't actually think a single Jeff story is bad. I think, you know, we're only really even discussing these stories in general to explore sort of the idea that Marvel is trying to create with this adorable character. Now, it's true. These stories do mark the complete first season of Jeff, which it does seem is going on a hiatus, as now Marvel has launched their next It's So Fucking Cute I Could Die product with Lucky the Pizza Dog getting a weekly comic to coincide with the new Hawkeye series launching on Disney+. Plus. But it's impossible to talk about Jeff without talking about Kate. Kate Bishop somehow became Jeff's I don't know, like legal guardian or something for this story. And I'm all for it. One of the things that makes it so unique is these last four stories do seem to focus on a sort of Jeff the domestic vibe. And I actually really like that. Not to sound weird, but there was something like 2% WandaVision-y almost about how like this was this cute little set and we had our little play figures. And because this doesn't really feel like a canon story it did feel a lot like well-placed product placement in a way i did not find cloying chum Mm. like it hot really set up jeff as as more of a stitch you know clearing everything out of the refrigerator and all the food going bad and just trying to stay cool the Iceman bit was cute it was kind of a nice little i don't want to say but you guys jeff just said gay rights <laughs> so i feel like it's really important that we moved to a domestic not oh my gosh look it's cute super heroic stuff how did you guys feel about sort of the play of chum like it hot after jeff the Meg? i mean no one should be thinking these much about these strips but like how did you guys feel about it I really think you comparing him to a Stitch type figure is a really excellent point of comparison. You know, it's not just Chum Like It Hot. It's the doghouse. It's the tummy ache. It's the Thanksgiving. You know, he's just always getting up to trouble. He is, you know, like you said, he's like a Disney animal sidekick where he is somewhere between a very intelligent animal and almost sentient and like intelligent in in that regard. He straddles the line real nice. I agree with you, Kevo. I think they do a great job of showing that in his own right, Jeff is a hero, but Jeff likes to be a little bit of a goofy kind of character, and Jeff likes to have fun, play some pranks. Uh, and Jeff is also apparently very spoiled, because he doesn't want to live in a, do- in a shark house, in a land shark house. No, 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 no. That's Kate's house now. I also love, every time we're in Kate's apartment, that there's a bunch of Hawkeye insignia on everything. Yeah. Like, they buy their own merch. I think that's hysterical. <laughs> Well, and it's actually one of the things that I thought was the smartest about this series. I have long stand Gurahiru on this show. I think they do such compellingly incredible work. It is a lot of the little nods, like the Hawkeye insignia on everything. I'd love to point out that in Tummy Trouble, when the doctor is going through Jeff's tummy, we see a license plate that says E616, mm-hmm. Earth 616. We see the Infinity Gauntlet. You know, there was a lot that I liked about it. I did ultimately feel, as Jonah pointed out, there was something almost Garfeldian. There was a, an Arbuckleian, an, Ar, an Arbuclean 
quality about this story that it could have been done in four panels, but I like scroll. I like, it's almost like joy scrolling. If, yeah. Yo, if totally. The internet is doom scrolling. Then Jeff is joy scrolling. And I need a little bit more joy scrolling in my life because I, I really want to remind you that the woman who writes this just won an Eisner for being a goddamn fucking genius at what she does. And it's so great that this is one of the projects Marvel knows to utilize her on. Like, there's all kinds of greatness. This is another kind of greatness. Kevo, how did you feel about a lot of the cute tie-ins, like the Infinity Gauntlet, which just about any Marvel fan would recognize? Yeah, I think it's clever to pack these with all sorts of different Marvel references, so that if you don't get one, you might get the next one. It's also got other pop culture references, like obviously the doghouse thing is meant to be a Snoopy reference. I love, love, love your description of it as joy scrolling because I think that that is something that content creators need to lean into in terms of you know how consumption of media has evolved I also think one of the things that we can't avoid is the fact that Jeff is in many ways kind of like you know a great way to sell corporate character ideas there's no mistaking that Hawkeye was in this at a really great time even if they said to Kelly Thompson and Gurahiru who do you want to draw who do you want to write and they were like oh no question Kate Bishop it is pretty great how it all timed out that it just started right before Thanksgiving the final issue of this came out at Thanksgiving there was a lot of great tie-ins and we know that Devil Dinosaur is getting a new series next year and then there's even things like Lockjaw both of which appeared in Jeff House Lockjaw appears in his own line of like cute little I'm the mascot comics and they kind of paved the way for Jeff in a lot of ways. And I think there are so many nice touches throughout this series that I actually am kind of sad by the time I get to Jeff's giving. How does everybody feel about this sort of cute, sweet little send off we get? Because it does feel like they listen to our podcast. The cast in this is so our favorites. I mean, there's like five people for JoJo alone. This Thanksgiving scene was specifically written for me and me alone between She-Hulk and Elsa Bloodstone. And then you have America Chavez and her girlfriend. And then you have Nightcrawler chatting with Carol Danvers because they were buddies for a hot minute when they went in space. And then, yeah, all that. So like this, all these characters were for me. I also love that the only person who doesn't show up in costume is Tony. <laughs> Tony's too good to show up in an Iron Man costume. I mean, granted, he can't eat. I don't think he can eat in it, but still. So, Kevo, with Jeff's giving, I th- sort of thought that one of the things that they definitely set up a quick memeability. By the time I got on X Twitter, like just two hours later, every third post was a dozen of these cute images of Jeff. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting was the panels are kind of designed to screen cap pretty well. (laughs) And I think that's something that Marvel is very much keeping in mind as it continues to produce content. I think one of the most amazing things about Disney Day this year is when they announced X-Men 97 that the official Marvel Comics Twitter already had a meme ready to go of that image of Wolverine looking longingly at the photo from the original series and they had already edited in the logo for X-Men 97. Like, they know the memes. They had already prepared it to be released immediately upon the announcement. And, you know, it's the same thing I was saying about them 
leaning into joy scrolling. This is just what culture is. This is how art is evolving. And this is how media consumption is evolving. And it's really important that they pay attention to these trends and lean into them rather than fighting against them. Because something that I know you, Nico, have been saying for years and years is that comics refusal to evolve was really stifling them for a while and was really threatening their very nature. So seeing them be better about evolving and adapting as we enter the 2020s is really cool and really makes me feel confident about them surviving in this industry. Yeah, as a guy who picked up every single Pet Avengers miniseries, every single time they let somebody have a low-selling Pet Avengers miniseries, I am so happy that this is the form it's taken because I already pay for this. I pay more money for Marvel Unlimited now that I'm seeing how many Marvel Unlimited original titles I'm getting. The books get there, like, seriously, like something like eight weeks later, so it's within three months. You're you're barely you only have to like ever wait for two issues after a trade so it's crazy how good marvel unlimited has gotten that i really do feel like this has allowed me to stop buying mini series that i never really felt fulfilled by because they just didn't feel like 3.99 but here in the joy scroll format by allowing comics to evolve i feel like i'm getting something out of them that i haven't gotten in a long time and it's sort of just like a comics can be fun kind of vibe like i can Mm -hmm. just pick it up and have a good fucking time and i probably can't see older versions of the pet avengers getting a tv show but i could sure as shit see some sort of jeff and frog thor and pizza dog and some sort of gamora cat actually voiced by zoe saldana because why not um all kind of getting some kind of what if spinoff series together And I think, you know, it starts with things like this. And the one complaint I was probably going to make about this 12-issue series is the fact that it felt like Jeff doesn't have any characters to play off of regularly. Kate is a great figure, but she's really more like the nanny to his Muppet baby. And I was really heartened to hear that you're saying Lucky the Pizza Dog is getting his own series. I would love to see those characters interact. I think that's the only thing I would say is missing from this Infinity comic is I would love to see more characters on his level regularly interacting with him and specifically ones that we know, not like just like the cat thing was cute, but I would love to see him interact with Lucky or another Marvel pet figure. Well, having read the first issue of Lucky the Pizza Dog, one of the things that I think is really interesting is it's a lot closer to a, holy shit, this could just have been in Hawkeye by Aja and Fraction and Wu, holy shit, than it is like the cute this thing. But they're both still very slice of life. It's almost like they're trying to consider everybody who wants to joy scroll as well. So you're absolutely right. They're even doing it in a way that like we would be asking for them to do in six months if they hadn't. Jojo, how do you feel? about the evolution of the joy scroll format and as a guy who covered the issues of deadpool that introduced this character how do you feel about the nature of choosing deadpool's weird one year long forgettable even though it was amazing monster island staten island king superhero run 
So I think what Marvel's doing, and this is, you know, a kind of a, a theme that you see in a lot of Disney properties is brand identity and brand integrity. And and I think Marvel is latching on to the idea that Jeff the Landshark is a good thing for their brand. You can have him be cute and scampy and adorable and you can have him get away with things. It's a almost like a marketing ploy in order to get people more invested who might be into that kind of idea of something very cute and adorable. And look at this little rascal and they can be like oh well what else has he been in when you know they go further down the rabbit hole that's how you get people so i think it's a really smart decision by marvel to focus on this character that made an impact from a series that i think should should have been more popular because it was very fun not i'm not just saying that because i'm from staten island it's full of monsters but more importantly it's you and pete davidson i think also to answer the other part of your question this being in an infinity comic format actually does wonders for it because it's not something that is hard to read it's very easy to scroll it's kind of like you're just scrolling through any social media app you just scroll up and you need to look at these cute pictures there's very little dialogue so you get to focus a lot more on what the art is showing and it's a very adorable art style that coincides with it so they really knocked it out of the park with i think their mission of jeff the Landshark being the cutie forefront of marvel well until we return next time and we talk a little bit more about Lucky the Pizza Dog in the new Jason Liu Infinity comic. Hopefully, there's news of Jeff Season 2 coming soon. I know I would love to see this get sort of a motion comic treatment maybe at some point. Something cute and a little bit of Jeff movement maybe. Marvel's been doing some terrific videos as trailers for upcoming major events. So hopefully they do something kind of cute like that for Jeff because that would be terrific. 